1: It doesn't say, I'm saved by grace, so do whatever you want, but rather, watch this, Paul teaches that this kind of liberty leads to real godliness, real holiness, as the indwelling Holy Spirit produces righteous, obedient, living in the life of every true Christian.
2: God's ultimate goal for each believer is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. The freedom that Christ purchased for us on Calvary enables the Holy Spirit to do great things in the believer's life. The Apostle Paul desired that so very much for the saints at Galatia. He warns them about letting false teachers getting them entangled again with their empty religiosity and losing the freedom they had found in Christ. You are listening to Verse by Verse, a daily study of the Bible brought by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve begins a new series of messages entitled Maintaining Our Freedom in Christ, taken from the New Testament book of Galatians chapter 5. Today's topic for discussion is Don't Put Yourself Under Bondage, and is the first part of a three-part message taken from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Open your Bibles to that passage. I'll tell you at the end of our class today how you could listen to this study again. Right now, let's begin our class, and here is Pastor Steve.
1: Many years ago, one of our elders approached me and told me that a couple in our church had asked him to speak to me about not running marathon races on Sunday because they felt it just wasn't right for me to do this on the Lord's Day. Now, you might have expected me to be kind and understanding, and even accommodating in my response, but I wasn't. In fact, I rejected this request and was quite blunt and direct in my response. I said, first of all, tell this couple that if they have a problem with me, then they need to come and speak to me, not go to you to speak to me. But secondly, I said, tell this couple that years ago, Jesus Christ saved me from one form of legalism, namely Judaism, and I'm not about to put myself under another form of legalism, namely Christian legalism, about which day of the week I can run races. Now, you may be surprised as to the way I reacted to this couple's request, but the reason I was so adamant and forthright in rejecting their view of what is appropriate behavior for a Christian on Sundays is because I saw it, and I still see it, as an attempt to rob me of the freedom that Christ has given me in my salvation. Now understand, this was not an issue of a believer potentially stumbling over another believer's liberty to do something that their conscience just forbids them to do, that if they were to do it, it would be not right. If that was the case, then yes, it is always right, because Scripture teaches this, to give up our, our rights, our our liberties for the sake of, Of others out of love so that a brother or a sister in Christ isn't tempted to engage in the the same kind of activity and yet it violates their, their conscience. But this was not the case. I knew who this couple was and believe me when I say they weren't tempted to run a marathon on Sunday or any other day of the week. No, this was simply an example of some Christians being critical of another believer and I refused to allow their criticism to rob me of my freedom in Christ. Now, folks, the reason I took such a hard stand against a request like this is because this is not a minor issue. You may think it's a minor issue, but it's not a minor, harmless issue. It is an issue related to the gospel, the gospel message. See, there are many believers today who have reduced Christianity to a set of man-made rules and regulations concerning what they consider to be appropriate behavior for a Christian and what they consider to be inappropriate behavior for a Christian. As if our faith is based on a performance of these non-biblical issues governing rules. And to give in to any of these human regulations that govern how we live and to start accommodating ourselves to this kind of performance-oriented thinking is to disregard for what Jesus Christ has done for us in dying for our sins and liberating us from trying to gain God's acceptance by anything that we do. In other words, to embrace these man-inspired rules as a means of pleasing God is to fall back into a system of religious bondage and slavery. And I refuse to do this. And I, in fact, I urge you to refuse to do this on the authority of the Word of God. Why do I say that? Because in our ongoing study of Galatians, we have come this morning to a passage in this letter in which the Apostle Paul specifically commands all of us as believers not to Put ourselves in bondage again, but to maintain our freedom in Christ and to be diligent about not allowing anyone to enslave us once again and put us under bondage. And the passage I'm referring to, and I invite you to turn there, is Galatians chapter 5. I want to read to you verses 1 through 6. We will not be able to cover all of this passage today, but it is one unit of thought, and today I'm going to lay the groundwork for you. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Now, with these words, we have arrived at the final two chapters, which is one section, the final section of this letter, in which Paul addresses the issue of liberty and and freedom. In Jesus Christ, from this point on until Paul closes this letter at the end of chapter 6, he will focus on how Christians, those who have been set free, liberated from trying to earn their way to heaven, how we're supposed to live how we're supposed to live. And the reason Paul ends his letter by dealing with this particular subject about godly living is because he was answering one of the accusations that the Judaizers, those false teachers influencing the Galatians, accusations that they had leveled against Paul and his message of salvation by faith alone. See, as we look at the big picture of Galatians, we see that the letter can be divided into three sections of two chapters each. And and each of these chapters, these two chapters, one section, focus on a specific subject. Chapters 1 and 2 form one section, 3 and 4 another section, and now 5 and 6 form the third and final section. And the reason for this division being so easily divided like this into three sections is because apparently the Judaizers had made three specific charges, accusations against Paul in trying to discredit him. And so what he does is he answers in these sections, these three specific charges. So charge number one is that they accused him of being a false apostle. They said that he's, you know, he's he's just some Jewish guy traveling around the Roman Empire. He's, he's just a, another itinerant evangelist who made up his own message and is trying to gain a hearing. So in chapters 1 and 2, Paul gives a lot of biographical information in order to defend his apostleship so that he proves that God had indeed called him to be an apostle and that it was God who revealed to him the message of faith that he preaches everywhere. He also went on to great lengths to demonstrate that he was just as much an apostle as the 12 other apostles in Jerusalem. That was one of the charges. Paul's not an apostle, and he's not like, certainly like the other Jewish apostles in Jerusalem, and Paul defends that and says, no, I am just like them. With one difference, we preach the same message, it's just that my emphasis is on preaching the gospel to Gentiles. Their emphasis is on preaching the gospel to Jewish people, but it's the same exact message. Now, that's chapters 1 and 2, defending his apostleship. The second charge made against Paul was that not only was he a false apostle, but the message that he preached about justification by faith without any need to keep the laws, that that was also false. They said, the man is a false apostle. The message he preaches is a false message. That is to say that they said his message of salvation by faith alone was not only wrong, they said it's contrary to the law, contrary to the Old Testament. And so, in chapters 3 and 4, we saw Paul answer this charge by delving back into the Old Testament and giving some really heavy, profound theology, mostly focusing on Abraham. For example, he quotes Genesis 15, 6, which says that that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He says that Abraham is the example in the Old Testament about how God has always saved people. Apparently, the Judaizers said that Abraham was saved by, by his works, by his life, and Paul is defending that, defending his position of salvation by grace, and arguing against their view by saying, let's look at what the Bible says about Abraham. Abraham believed God, and God imputed righteousness to Abraham's account. He also referred in this section of chapters 3 and 4 to Genesis 12, in which God had made a promise to Abraham that he would bless all the nations of the world through one of his descendants. That is, a promise that salvation would come to the Gentiles through one descendant of Abraham, namely Jesus of Nazareth. And so he tells us that way back in Genesis, God predicted that he would justify the Gentiles by faith through the gospel of Christ. And and we saw last week, as Paul closed chapter 4, we saw that he used the story of Abraham and Hagar And Sarah and their two respective sons, Ishmael and Isaac, to illustrate that salvation is by faith. It's always been by faith, based on God's promise alone, and not by any human effort. And so, chapters 3 and 4, then, are characterized by doctrinal, theological arguments that answer the charge that Paul's message contradicted the Old Testament. It did not. But now the third charge made by the Judaizers against Paul, and the one that he deals with here in chapters 5 and 6, was that Paul's message of grace, apart from keeping the law to be saved, led to loose living. In other words, they said that to remove the laws, the means of salvation would be to open the floodgates for the Gentiles to live lawlessly and to indulge in all kinds of immoral practices and other deplorable, vile, heathen sins. That's what they said about Paul and his message. And it's because of this specific charge that grace leads to lawless and evil behavior that Paul devotes the last two chapters of his epistle to explaining that justification by faith in Christ does not lead to the kind of liberty that results in a license to sin. It doesn't say, I'm saved by grace, so do whatever you want. But rather, watch this, Paul teaches that this kind of liberty leads to real godliness real holiness as the indwelling holy spirit produces righteous obedient living in the life of every true christian and that's why it's it's here folks in galatians chapter 5 that, that famous passage is is spelled out in which paul speaks of the fruit of the spirit love joy peace longsuffering all that that's why it's here he's teaching us that True holiness flows out of an understanding of grace, and it's the Holy Spirit who produces it in our lives. Paul stresses that grace does not lead to lewdness, but to holiness. So what we have here in chapters 5 and 6, then, is actually the application of his letter. It's the application of the truth that sound doctrine leads to sound and holy living. Now, I love the way that James Montgomery Boyce put it in summing up Paul's overall message here in these two chapters of five and six. Boyce said that these words help to explain why the Judaizers were wrong And, and to think that the only way, and this was their thinking, that you can produce good behavior is to stress the laws, the means of salvation. Boyce now explains why their thinking is wrong. He writes this, Paul replies that this is not true. It is not true because Christianity does not lead the believer away from the law into nothingness. It leads him to Jesus Christ, who in the person of the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within him and furnishes him with a new nature that alone is capable of doing what God desires. The change is internal. So it is within rather than without that the Holy Spirit produces the fruit that is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Life in the spirit, he writes, is free from and above the kind of religion that would result in either legalism or license. It is true freedom, a freedom to serve God fully, unencumbered by the shackles of sin or regulations. End of quote. Now, frankly, an understanding of our liberty in Christ and how it affects our daily behavior is one of the most important subjects In the Christian life. And the proof of this is that so many believers really don't understand what the Bible teaches about their liberty, and as a result, they often fall into one of two unbiblical extremes in the way they live. The first of these unbiblical extremes falls under the category of what is commonly referred to as legalism. Legalism, which has to do with creating all kinds of human. Laws and rules and regulations to live outside of what the Bible teaches. And these rules then become the marks of spirituality, the standards of spirituality. See, there are some Christians who are scared, and they're threatened by the concept of liberty, because they think that liberty means a license or a liberty to sin, so they invent a host of arbitrary rules and laws usually tied to their culture, in an attempt to to keep not only their flesh in check, but the flesh of everybody else they know in check. And they figure that if they can just set up these, these boundaries, these human rules, then this will produce righteous behavior. But it doesn't. Not at all. It doesn't produce righteous behavior. Instead, it produces a forced kind of conformity to a bunch of external rules, rules that are considered by their Christian peers and not God, to be good and acceptable. Here's the problem. Far from developing godly character, legalism actually stifles the fruit, the true fruit of godly character from being developed because its focus is only on conformity. Outward conformity to externals, outward behavior, and how things, note this, appear to be rather than focusing on issues of the heart. Why do I do what I do? Is it to look good before people or is it to please the Lord? Inner attitudes, true desires, desires that say, I want to obey what God's word says simply because I'm his child. I want to please him. Even if nobody else knows about it, I want to please him. This is why Jesus told his followers in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what did he mean by this? The scribes and the Pharisees were meticulous people, very religious-looking people, but the, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees were only outward, just in appearance only. What they did They did for the sake of looking good before others in their Jewish community. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. Beware of doing that. He was was warning his followers, do not be like the Pharisees. They do things to be noticed by people. Jesus accused them of being hypocrites because they practiced their righteousness only to be seen and admired by men. They didn't care about true righteousness. How do I know that? Let me just cut right to the chase. If they really cared about true righteousness, if they really cared about obeying God, when God himself showed up in their midst, they would have fallen down and worshiped him. Instead, they went to kill him. They didn't care about righteousness. The epitome of righteousness stood before them and they hated him. Now, they didn't care about God. They cared about themselves. They didn't care about what what would please God by obeying his word in their hearts out of love. They just cared about others thinking that they were pretty spiritual and and good. And that's why Jesus stressed to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount that obedience to God is far more than, than externally obeying his commands, just doing it on the outside when people can see you. He taught that it also involves obeying him on the inside when no one but God alone can see you. So he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that it's not enough to refrain from physically murdering someone. We must not assassinate them either in our hearts by hating and being angry with them. He tells us that it's not enough for a man to refrain from committing physical adultery, but to obey God's command that he must not commit mental adultery as well. See, the Pharisees were legalists. They were legalists because they reduced the moral laws of God to mere external rules that they could observe. And in doing so, feel pretty good about themselves and think that they were devout and spiritual and righteous before God. Christian legalists do the same thing. By coming up with all kinds of extra biblical external regulations to govern their lives and these governing rules make them feel pretty good about themselves, pretty religious, pretty spiritual. But in reality, they aren't being spiritual at all because true spirituality comes when we understand that we've been set free by Christ, free from trying to perform and merit God's favor, impressing others by conforming to culturally Adapted human rules and standards. Listen, I only wish spirituality was a mere checklist. Just check off today. Oh, I did this. Spiritual. I only wish it were that. It's not. True spirituality is a matter of the heart. As the indwelling spirit of God sanctifies us daily and develops Christ-like attitudes in us in character so that we recognize our sins. We repent of our sins. It's the mark of a true believer. And we want to obey God's word because we love the Lord. We want to please the Lord, even if nobody else knows what we're doing. That's sanctification. That's spirituality. Listen, far from developing holy Christians, legalism actually turns off many, even from becoming Christians. They don't want anything to do with it because it is a stifling and suffocating Kind of Christianity because it is really a human attempt to govern and control behavior rather than the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify. And listen, frankly, this is what turns off many children who grow up in Christian homes because legalism projects the Christian faith as a form of bondage, of a bunch of things that you just can't do. That's all that Christianity is projected as. You just can't do this rather than a precious. Love relationship with Jesus Christ, who has set us free from religious slavery. So if legalism is wrong then, and it is, and it's unbiblical, and it is unbiblical, then why in the world are so many Christians attracted to it? And make no mistake about it, there are many Christians who feel very comfortable and, and are attracted to legalism. Warren Wearsby, who has written a number of commentaries and has written a wonderful one on Galatians, who was also my pastor when I was a student at uh, college at Moody Bible Institute, He's, he says this in explaining why legalism is attractive to so many Christians. He said, wrote, Sad to say, there are many people who feel very insecure with liberty. They would rather be under the tyranny of some leader than to make their own decisions freely there are some believers who are frightened by the liberty they have in God's grace so they seek out a fellowship a church that is legalistic and dictatorial where they can let others make their decisions for them so what he's saying is there are so many who are attracted to legalism because frankly they feel safe there they feel secure they don't have to think on a daily basis as to what's right and wrong and they don't have to really be led by the spirit they're led by their leader by their church by conformity to outward rules that everybody in their church says this is what we do this is what we don't do
2: i'm sure each of us has encountered individuals who are legalistic in their approach to living the christian life what they don't have is joy in christ it's difficult to get them to smile pastor steve will continue our class on the next verse by verse if you would like to listen again to this study point your web browser at versebyverseradio.org and click on the Message Archive tab. There you can learn more about this program and listen again to today's lesson or any of the hundreds of other lessons available for free download. You may also call verse-by-verse verse at 727-239-0306 for any questions you may have about the Bible or to request a CD copy of this entire three-part message. That phone number again is 727 727- Two three nine zero three zero six, And our website again is versebyverseradio all one word dot o-r-g As a reminder, Verse by Verse is a listener supported ministry. If you have been blessed by this message, would you consider sending a gift to help maintain this program? You can donate online by going to our website versebyverseradio.org and clicking on the giving tab. Or call us at 727-239-0306. Until next time on Verse by Verse, I'm your announcer, Ken Anderson. Thanks for listening.